This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 195 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. So I'm not going to mess around too much with formalities here. As you can see by the title, today I am joined by the official. Northeastern correspondent of the show, and that would be Steve, a.k.a. S. Halley, a.k.a. Show Lee. A lot of you refer to him as the Jay Crowder guy, so you know, let's skip the introductions. I think we should just start there. Steve, where is Jay Crowder? He's working out on a beach. I don't know, flexing those muscles. I'm not really sure, but he's not currently playing for an NBA franchise, that's for sure. Now, um, this is no slight to Jay Crowder, but I, I did Google worst NBA players to demand a trade earlier today, but I, I couldn't <laughs> find a definitive list. I know I saw Marquise Chris, and there were a few guys on there that I think are probably worse than Jay Crowder. Um, and as you know, my Pacers tried to grab DeAndre Ayton this offseason, and the Suns essentially blocked that move by matching the offer. He seemed pretty upset by that. Um, and then, you know, despite their early exit in last year's playoffs, this is a franchise that's had a pretty good run over the last few years. Um, as of this recording, they're 10 and six. So are these just two isolated incidents that happen to be with the same team? Or, or do you think there's something bigger going on in Phoenix right now? So, so I don't have any inside info, obviously. I have spoken to a few of the collectors on Instagram that I've sort of befriended over the years as I watched the Suns last two seasons. I think there's something up. I mean, I don't know, Kyle, if you watched any of the introductory press conferences when um, your boy Aiden got back to Phoenix, <laughs> but he was he was sitting there with this scowl on his face, and you know, reporters are throwing him lobs over home plate, giving him home run pitches to hit, and he couldn't even fake it. It was like, are you excited to be here? When I get on the court, I'll be right. When I'm inside the lines, I'll be good. And like, but was like even angry with them. You've got the whole ownership situation with Sarver. Um, I don't think it's any surprise that one of their two biggest stars is you know closer to forty than he is thirty, and you know on a on a mega deal for the next few years. So at some point, they're going to have some roster issues. Um, so, I, but they're also playing really well right now, a lot better than I thought they would. They've gotten huge contributions out of out of campaign while while Chris Paul's been down. Um, Cam Johnson's playing his role. Aiden's looked pretty solid. So, you know, maybe there's some stuff that went on in the offseason. Maybe some players aren't enjoying playing for the franchise given the, the nature of what's going on with ownership right now. Um, but it seems like they're turning the corner and in the end being professionals because they're off to a good start this year. Yeah, and uh, there was something, I don't remember if it was from Monty's side or from Aiden's side, but one of them basically said that they hadn't chatted since the offseason or since the finals or whatever or the playoffs, I guess I should say, not the finals. Um, so I, I thought that was kind of strange. But yes, believe me, I was paying attention because anytime a player even alludes to the fact that they would rather be a pacer, uh, I am all ears because that's not something that you see very often. Before we move on from Crowder, which for all we know, you know, maybe I, I keep hearing trade talk, maybe he's going to the Bucks or whatever. Are there any Crowder collection updates that you want to share? Are are they still putting him in new products? Even yeah, he hasn't been a. He, I, I th- like I've said on this podcast before. I enjoy the player collection as frustrating as it can be because you can really kind of narrate what goes on in the hobby. He's definitely in a lot fewer products this year as he should be. Because, but I also think that's a sign of Panini slowing things down. Like even for the Celtics stuff, I don't know if you've seen this with the Pacers, but the the team sets are smaller. 
Uh, like yes. in the new Spectra, there's only there's only three Celtics players in the new Spectra set. So I, he's gotten the cut from from stuff. Like he didn't make the optic cut this year. Honestly, and shout out to Small Town Cards because I joke with this all the time. I don't even know what products are out. Like I can't keep track of. 2021 2022 2023 when stuff's coming out so i kind of just go by when stuff hits ebay and if i see a player break then i know he's in a new product i haven't been chasing the checklist as aggressively uh but it's definitely scaled back a lot and i really been focusing on the really cheap low-end uh, prism cards just to fill out fill out those pages of my bind it's a lot of comp c pickups uh prison sports lots stuff like that yeah, and I um, maybe I'm sick because I even told Jason the other day. You know what? Like I'm I'm ready for hoops. I I we just <laughs> I need that product to come out. I need game photos. I need Benedict Matherin rookies. Um, I I need hoops. And yet Mosaic from this last season is scheduled to come out after hoops. So it's just going to be one mm. confusing cluster. Uh, and I don't know if you've been seeing the the redemption situation where. Uh, like someone on on Reddit today posted a they got a random redemption back and they even had to pay customs for like a Kenneth Fareed auto and somebody yep. else. So uh, it's just been a really messy situation and obviously something's going on. We don't have specifics yet, so we really can't say anything. But weird situation nonetheless. So all right. So earlier this weekend, I asked people if they had any topics that they wanted us to chat about, and these were all submitted to me privately. So. Um, as per your request, you've not seen any of these yet. And um, let's go ahead. I, I tried to order them in, in some fashion here. Let's stick with the topic of current NBA rosters. So we already talked about the Suns. And a listener named Paul, who's a, a Celtics fan, had two questions for you. He said, number one, who are the most over and underrated players on the current Celtics roster? And then number two, do the Celtics need to go after another big or just wait for Robert Williams to come back? Oh, I'm going to piss some people off with this one. Most overrated player on the Celtics roster is Marcus Smart, um, and that overrating comes from his own head. As he likes to quote, he's the DPOY. I've never heard anyone refer to themselves as the reigning <laughs> DPOY in an interview, but he has several times. Uh, when Marcus is playing within his game, he's an excellent contrib- contributor to an NBA roster. He really is. He moves the ball well. He sees the floor well. He defends with hustle. Um, but he just his head gets so big, and that he thinks the rim gets as big as his head is. And he's just started, he can really derail the offense very quickly. Um, valuable player. Yeah, he goes full Marcus in, and I don't watch as yeah. much Celtics as you do. But there are instances where I'm just like, man, this what is this guy doing? The Celtics lose games because of the way he plays sometimes. Now, he also wins them games. He's one of those, you know, gamer-type players, but um, he definitely loses them games as well. So uh, for someone that thinks he's at the same level as Tatum and Brown, he's the most overrated player. Um, was there a, was there an underrated player question to that, or was yeah, it just do they need to add Yeah, who, who's the most underrated on the Celtics roster? Um, kind of a fanboy take. I'll say Grant Williams, though. Every year he continues to get better and better. He was a late first-round pick that was kind of glossed over. Um, he's gone from being a spot-up three-point shooter that can defend the perimeter to really being able to handle the ball and, and being a you know really valuable two-way player off the bench. So I'll give Grant Williams kudos for that part. Now, I, I guess maybe it's not uh, so destructive, but I feel like Grant Williams has a pretty – he's pretty high on Grant Williams as well. Uh, kind of like you were insinuating with Marcus there. Yeah, I think he likes more. I think that's more if he plays the media though. He's he's a he's a huge dork, and he loves the spotlight. He loves to like when Tatum doesn't want to do an interview, he'll do the interview. Um, I, I see him more as playing the role, playing with the media, than I do really him thinking he's you know going to go above and beyond. He when when he's on the court, he plays he plays the team game that he needs to play. Right. Well, and that's all you can, all you can ask for then. Um, so as for the other question, then, uh, do you go for another big or do you just wait for Robert Williams? I would love for them to go for another big and we don't need to geek out too much on roster management, but for what they have a value uh, available for assets, I really don't think there's anyone they can get. I don't want them bringing in some scrub off the street. Um, they, you know, they've got Blake there as a, as a backup big, who's really more of a locker room presence, which I think is great. Uh, they don't really have the trade potential unless they want to rock the roster and trade a Derek White or something. So unfortunately, I think they're in a position where they have to 
have to wait for Rob Williams to come back. Probably, you know, bring in. They've got a couple of these guys up in the G League that they can rotate in if they need to. Um, I think they need to just stay pat for now. They don't really have the flexibility to do much in that that realm. Yeah, and I, didn't they give up a, a first rounder for Derek White? Yeah, yeah. So you you really can't get locked into that game of trading assets like that uh, for temporary relief. But uh, we'll see. Who knows? Now, uh, speaking of trades. I, I believe you made a cardboard trade earlier this week for a card of a current Celtic. Uh, either that or you sold some stuff off and, and purchased something. But um, I asked for listener questions and Chad from Pack to the Future messaged me that he wanted to hear more about your uh, recent transactions. So tell me, how did all that transpire and what all did you come away with? Okay, so I mean, uh, I'm so I'm going to talk to myself. For, all right, so this will, this will be coming out Thursday. So part of it is... Uh, this a trade has a little bit of a trolling feature to it. So a good friend of mine, Jason, picked up a Larry Bird patch auto from a set that several of us that are all friends like from Impeccable. It's a gold patch auto out of ten. And the second he, he Jason does not hold on to cards very long. He he likes to move them. He trades them. He's got his binders of his Jalen Brown stuff, but stuff outside of his binders tends to come and go from his collection very quickly. So. Uh, several of us messaged him, said, great, let us know when you're tired of it. We will take it off your hands. He reached out to me and said he saw a card that I had available in a story sale, said I want that, and he proposed a trade to me that I accepted with the understanding that it would allow another Larry Bird of mine. I could then afford to move a Larry Bird that I had because I was getting one that I considered an upgrade. So it allowed me to post for sale Larry Bird patch auto out of 10 that I had from National Treasures that got picked up very quickly which gave me the funds to um, buy a, a card that I normally wouldn't be able to afford which is a Jason Tatum flawless game use patch auto so in a span of about an hour and a half starting with a message that Jason sent me to a couple of sales and then agreeing to a trade with Jason I was able to move one Larry Bird that I liked but didn't love for Larry Bird that I'm going to love and get the funds to pick up a card that normally would be outside of my um, my range. And, you know, part of it is being a fan, right? Kind of like we do this stuff because we're connected to the game. It brings us the game. As a Celtics fan, I can't not be have that sort of emotional, fanatic feel right now to the team. They're playing so well, and, and Tatum really is leading that and, and showing himself to be a current superstar. So being able to have, during this season, pick up a card like that, that, you know, resonates to how the team's going and my enjoyment of watching them um, was pretty cool. So, and I did, I went into the group chat with Chad and I messaged that um, I'll keep it PG on your show, but you know, really enjoyed it and had a lot of fun transacting that. And like what a rush it is to be able to engage with the hobby at that level and move some stuff around. And then I went to a show to complete the deal for the Tatum. So I, I got him to meet another local collector in person. He hung out with us for a little bit. So it was just a really fun time and, and wheeling and dealing with some cardboard. I th- saw that where you said, you know, hey, I picked this up today to complete the trade that you had just talked to me about the day before. So that's kind of an interesting dynamic that the guys in your region have going on where you just make transactions. Seems like you trade a lot amongst one another and do. Um, you do it at shows and you do it locally and in person. So um, I think that definitely adds a component that uh, I'm a little bit jealous of, to be honest with you. You're jealous of a lot of things of Celtics fans. I am. I am. Yeah. Um, I can't think of one Pacers impeccable card that uh, that I, I would really go out of my way for. And, and it's not that I don't like impeccable. It's just uh, we don't have that same. Uh, we don't have all of those same cards out there, unfortunately. So yeah. um, while we're on the topic of pickups, though, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about recent mail. Um, I saw you post a dual relic of Larry Bird and Magic Johnson on your feed. So even though you're getting rid of some bird stuff, you did get a bird card in this week. I know it's not your only duel of those guys either. So tell me a little bit about, you know, why'd you grab this one? What was the circumstances? What do you like about this one? And so on. So it's a, it's an upper deck set. It's called Rear Patches, which is what I know we, you and I are going to want to talk about here because I did a little trolling of your account on Instagram. Um, it's a duel, and it is uh, the patch windows are the first initial of each player, and it's out of 15. So what, what drew me to it was that it was a game-used relic card short printed from upper deck of those two. But it also ties to I have another parallel from that same set that's out of 10, 
that has really high quality chunky patches in it, you know, stitches, multiple colors that are the last name initials. So I thought the pairing of the first name, last name was really cool. Um, it, it kind of, the cards seemed to fly under the radar. I, I feel like I got it for a really good price. I definitely bid a little bit more than it sold for. So it wasn't a must have card for me, but to get that pairing was, was nice for, for something that I thought was, um, a nice addition to the PC. And, and the connection really goes back to that's when I started following the NBA. I still read every book I can on Magic and Bird. I watch highlights randomly. Like having cards with the two of them together um, really highlights such a significant moment in the NBA. So just a little little fun addition to go to a card that I already had on my PC and paired up nicely. Okay, so now you said that the set is called Rare Patches. And it is. Um, I promise you I'm not bringing this up as a gotcha or anything like that. But when you originally posted this, you, like you said, they're one color relics and, um, you were basically saying, Hey, this goes right up against what Kyle said on the most recent segment of wax museum, yep. uh, which the timing was like bang, bang, right in a row. So I thought that was kind of a, a funny coincidence there. Um, did we confirm though, that there was a, a small amount of stitching there at the bottom of that relic window? It's tough to say it, there was de- this stitching holes. Um, so if you look up, so it's the, for the listeners, it's the letter M that Kyle's talking about. And the M is cut perfectly straight vertical on the far edge. If you look inside that edge, like you usually see underneath the cardboard, you can see where they pulled stitches out. Um, and so, to, so a part of that is sticking out of the corner. There's no actual stitches in there. Um, but we did confirm that there was a stitch that went through that side of that piece of material, yes. So um, just to clarify for people out there, even though these were one-color relics, um, the material type is is still different. It's not the, um, well, in the older, older, like 70s and early 80s was kind of called like cheesecloth for the actual jersey itself. And then they moved to more of a mesh where the holes were a little bit bigger. It's neither one of those. Um, so it, it's a little bit different material. So it's unfortunate that um, his weren't cut from a great spot where they are multicolor, but they still are patches and they still are a prime relic. So uh, that's good news though, right? That's that's not yep. anything to be upset about. That's good news that you did end up with a prime relic. Now, um, while we're on the topic of mail, I want to talk about a card that I got in this week, um, which is kind of um, from the olden days of relics. So that's where the rules didn't always quite apply but I grabbed a 2001-2002 Topps Expectations Bowman's Best Franchise Favorites Jersey Relic of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And even though um, it was technically a jersey set, there were quite a few screen-printed patch pieces in there. Um, and that's why, you know, that's what this is. It's an upgrade over my other copy. But the reason I like this one so much is that it features a jersey that Kareem used in an all-star game. And over the course of his career, I think he played 19 years and he played in 18 different All-Star games. He was hurt for one of them. But um, I did a deep dive this week and I've narrowed that jersey down to one of three different games because there was a a short stretch there where they used um, the same style of jersey in that time frame. And then I looked and I eliminated a couple years just because Golden had auctioned those jerseys off after the card was made. So I've kind of narrowed it down. And I'll probably make a video on it at some point, but um, I make I have to post this on show social media. I think I've showed it to you already, Steve. But um, yeah. this is probably nice. one of my favorite 100 cards, and it might even crack my top 50, which is nice because it was only like a 50 or 60 dollar card on eBay. So always a plus when something like that happens. All right, before we move into the next batch of questions, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. This is Boston Steve, formerly of the Pack to the Future Podcast. Let's reach out to those guys and get Season 2 going. But in the meantime, keep listening to Kyle in the Wax Museum Podcast. Alright, I like that. Yeah, Pack to the Future 2, right? 
what happened in Back to the Future 2? I don't even remember that. I don't think I've ever seen it, to be uh-huh. honest with you. It, that's not the one where they went, uh, one of them, they went back to the Wild West. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a movie guy, so I'm sure there are people at home that are just banging their Cringing hands on right their now. head right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Yep. I, this is not a movie podcast. I'll move on. Okay. So um, one thing I do know about, though, is eBay, right? And we've mentioned eBay a few times now. So this next question comes from late 90s B-Ball, a friend of the show and friend of the Pack of the Future as well. And he wants to know our biggest eBay auction regrets. And he didn't clarify buying or selling. So I'm just going to throw that out there and let you take that for what you will. I mean, I talked about my biggest, I think the last time I was on with you, I talked about a regret of letting an Al Horford go. And that, this is probably my, the behavior that I always regret the most is when you have an opportunity to get something but you get greedy, and it all—it almost happened today too. So the two—the two options are when there's the option for a best offer or a bid, and you bid lower than just it would cost you to buy it, hoping to save a few bucks, and then you get outbid and end up paying a premium for it, or you lose out on the card. Or when there's a card reasonably priced, but they put that offer there, and you say, you know what, I'm still going to make an offer even though it's a good deal. And today there was a not an expensive card, but a very rare, like out of eight, J. Crowder popped up, like one of the Asian parallels. So like you never see him on eBay. And it was, I mean, it was overpriced, but not to the point. I haven't bought anything really recently, so I could have afforded the extra five bucks. But the offer was there, and I put that offer in. And let me tell you, throughout the, the whole work day, I'm sitting in the back of my head just wondering if someone's <laughs> going to wake up and hit the bin. Um, so it's more the type of behavior. I wouldn't say I have any... The cards I've let go, but not auction regrets. I don't, I don't put stuff up for auction much unless I do it through Com C. Um, and most of the time for cards I'm buying, I know it's kind of a lame answer, but I, I kind of put my max bid in, um, and I just let it ride. And if it goes from one I want to, I, I let it go. There's a, there's a random card I'll snipe here and there, but I usually just let stuff ride. So I don't know that. Not a very good answer. So maybe you can add to something there, Kyle. Well, I yeah, my answer is not going to be great on this one either. Um, I mean, there's a lot of cards that um, I haven't bought. You know, those are regrets. But at the same time, there's only so much money. Uh, one yeah. that sticks out to me, which is strange, but it, it was the letter V from a nameplate for Sarunas Yesikavages. Um, it was posted with a $300 buy it now or best offer. And this was probably like, I don't know, like 2017, 2018. And I offered a hundred bucks, which I thought was strong at the time. And uh, it, someone hit the bin, which I knew I knew someone from Europe would hit the bin on that one. I don't know it was from Europe, but I'm like I'm gonna say it was. And I still think about that card, which it's not even like an amazing card. I don't know. It's just one that's so unique that I I, I his last name is so long, and I still haven't seen another one of those letters since then. So I yeah. kind of regret that. But honestly. You know, there are so many cards that I wish I would have bid higher on. Um, none of my regrets are, are, hey, I wish I would have bid less on this, which I know that that's kind of strange, but it's all, hey, you know, I probably should have bid more on stuff. But yeah, other than that, I mean, I guess the other thing would be combined shipping. I've fallen for that trap so many times mm. to where I, I don't win. One of the, I would say 90% of the time when I try to combine shipping, I lose the card that I actually really wanted. And I end up just paying to ship a card that I don't want. Um, so that that would be my big gripe, uh, my biggest eBay auction regret. I don't know if that's all that exciting, though. It's a good one, though. Continuing on with uh, the whole eBay theme here. And these questions weren't formally submitted, but uh, there were a couple things that came up this week that I think um, deserve conversation here because it seems like these last couple of years have ushered in an entirely new crop of buyers and sellers. And I'm not trying to shun a new group of people or I'm not trying to be the old man that, you know, get off my lawn, that type of thing. But this new crop of buyers and sellers, you know, they really operate with an entirely different set of rules. And this first scenario I dealt with this week, it deals with counter offers. And this is something that drives me crazy. I'm watching a Reggie Miller autograph number to 10. And the last two sales are as follows. So keep in mind, there's only 10 cards, but there's, you know, two of them have sold in the last year. So that's a pretty good sample size still. March of 2022, one of them sold for $263. And then another copy sold last month for $181. So it's down a little bit, right? 
There's one currently on eBay. Do you want to? I'm just going to let you guess what price you think it's on eBay for, considering it sold for two sixty three and one eighty one. What price do you think it's selling for? Three fifty. Three fifty. Okay. Now that I could stomach, right? So the one on eBay right now is five hundred and twenty five dollars or best <laughs> offer. Now I'm not here to to price shun people. Okay. So I'll just leave it at that. Although your laugh kind of encapsulates what I feel about it as well. So my very first offer, because it was or best offer, my very first offer was $200, which mind you, is 10% over comps. Mm -hmm. And it was auto declined. Okay. Now, um, that seems kind of similar to the pricing that I've seen in person at shows lately. Um, I don't know. Can you help me look into the the mind of this seller? What do you think's going on here? Maybe maybe I'm I'm the one in the wrong. Well, uh, it, no, you're not because you're using you're trying to use market value to come up with what you feel comfortable paying for a card, right? And we can call these cards alternative assets or whatever, and obviously they have value, but we're buying them as collectibles to keep and to hold on to, cherish, whatever. So we have to pay what well, a we can afford, but b what we realistically think is a valuable a value for that collectible so i don't think you're in the wrong the auto decline is i think where he's going where that seller is going wrong i will occasionally put a card on ebay and i might put it higher than comps just to get feelers out there you know especially like say i wanted to sell a tatum right now he's hot um i might put it out there and put it you know a little bit over comps but i'm going to keep my best offers open I'll, I'll keep them open so even the silly offers come through, right? Like I want right. to see what people are, are sending in and then I can at least communicate with them by auto declining. He's blocking any chance of having a discussion with you about the value of the card. And who knows, maybe he could get you to pay over the first comp of 263 and that would be really good for him if he had a discussion about why he was valuing at that price, but he's blocking that chance. I think social media plays a role. You know, I think we all see on Facebook the the advice of, you know, put it on eBay with a best offer high and just see what comes in. I think people maybe don't pay attention to all the automatic settings that eBay has and set the auto decline without even knowing it. Or, you know, that's I'm just playing devil's advocate there that but those are some of the options that could happen some people just value their cards really high some people want to put them on ebay high and then they'll also have it at a show and they'll be like well you can, yeah, you can go to ebay and buy it for 500 you can buy mine for 400 <laughs> um, right. i've seen that happen that's pretty dirty but you know i think because there are no hard and fast rules of what cards are worth um, people mismanage it sometimes, but I think the one thing that's gone wrong there, like I said, is the, the auto decline being set above market value because that's going to block any chance of completing a sale. Now, something you said there um, kind of made a light bulb go off, and I don't know if this is the case or not, but uh, you mentioned an auto decline threshold, and, and what I've noticed is I think it's it seems like it's automatically set at 50%. Um, cause I've noticed that for the majority of auctions or, or I guess there's an unwritten maybe standard where people will set it at 50%. I don't know. Um, all right. So let's take 525 and divide that by half. What, what it give me a roundabout total there. I know I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> well, 500 divided by two is, uh, 250 and then another 1250. So you've got 62, uh, Okay. And if you remember, that first comp that I cited you was $263. So maybe there, maybe this is a big brain move here. I don't know. I don't know where he's going with this. But uh, e- either way, I, I'm, I'm a little confused because, like you said, there's got to be some dialogue. So I posted this scenario on Twitter, and, and someone defended them by saying, this is simply math. If the buyer paid 181 plus fees, taxes, and shipping, 10% wouldn't even break him even, uh, especially if he promotes his cards as eBay takes 13% on top of that. But um, my response to that was, you know, I I never ask this seller to lose money. I just thought this was a good first offer. Um, Now, does that mean I'm going to go any higher than that? No, at some point you do have to stop it so people don't just rob you every time. But... um, Nonetheless, it was a strange situation. So I I did message him, and uh, I I know people are mixed about doing this, and and I was trying not to come off like a jerk, but I said, hey, you know, I I offered ten percent higher than the last comp. What range are you realistically looking for? 
thanks. And I always put an exclamation mark, like I'm trying to say it like nice. I don't know if that has any bearing on it. (laughs) I'm trying to come in peace while at the same time telling this guy, you're out of your mind. Um, Give me a a counter. That's all I want is even if that counter is 524, give me a counter. All right. The next eBay topic is something that I ran into on Twitter. And this one, actually, the the counteroffer stuff has been going on for years. It's whatever. All right. This one really blew my mind here. So a collector wrote, I ship a lot of low-dollar cards and go through a ton of top loaders. Would it be the worst thing in the world to sometimes ship like this? And then he showed a picture of a penny-sleeved prism card, right? A low-end prism card, like some sort of parallel. And it was sandwiched between a couple pieces of thin cardboard, and it had blue painter's tape around that sandwich, right? Um, And the replies to that really surprised me because several people said if they received a card like that, they would give an instant negative. Um, Mm -hmm. The reason being that the shipping was risky. And my reply to that was, you know, the feedback should be left according to what actually happened, not what could have happened. I mean... You know, the mailman could have run over it. A hurricane could have blown it away, right? But that stuff didn't happen. So if the card is safe, there's no need to leave a negative. Um, and other people said, no, yeah, don't leave a negative, leave a neutral. Um, and I don't know. It, that, that was just a really weird conversation. I'm not going to read every post in that thread, but the exchange really surprised me. Um, am I out of touch here again? Or what? what's your take on this situation? So my take has always been... Get the card to me safely. I don't. I don't care how you do it. I've had cards taped to recycled pieces of laminate flooring before. <laughs> I've had cards in, you know, plain white envelopes just taped to a piece of printer paper. I've had cards sent, you know, in brand new one touches and everything in between. In the end, I don't really care. Like even going back to probably when you and I first started, you know, interacting on, on the forums. And a lot of the talk back then was about shipping cards and people would get upset if the cards were sent in dirty top loaders or if there was too much tape or et cetera, et cetera, right. et cetera Or scotch cetera. tape. God forbid someone yeah. tape a top loader. With scotch tape. No, and I get it ruins a top loader. But the, you know what? Then I'm just going to use that gunked up top loader to ship my next card, right? The I bought the card. I didn't buy the packing materials. Um, so as long as the card gets to me safely, and at the same time, if the card arrives damaged, then I expect the seller to own that, right? And, and to make it make it right, either send me another copy or to refund me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that, like you said, that could happen. You can have a card in a top loader, and if it gets stuffed in the mailman's bag the wrong way and it gets folded, that card's still going to fold. So... Uh, this stuff that you can't plan for, but in the end, if the card arrives safely, it arrives safely. And my only caveat to that is, if I paid for premium shipping, you better send a premium shipping. So if you charge me six fifty for shipping and then send it in a plain white envelope with a ninety nine cent stamp on it, then there's going to be a discussion and probably a neutral feedback. Uh, but that's more because you gouged the pricing of the shipping. Uh, right. But I have no issue. Just get it to me safely. And, and I agree on that. And I'm also not above asking for a 3 or $4 refund if you're going to ship the cheap way and, and charge me for the expensive way. I'm not above that. I know people think that's petty, but that adds up over time. Um, and I've, you know, I've got Reggie Miller autographs to buy. Um, all right, so switching gears here. Hobbyman underscore Hobbyman. That's kind of like Bull Bull, I guess. He asked, if you were building an Ultimate 90s binder... Which cards would you pursue and include? So this is going to be another answer that people aren't going to love my my response here because I'm not I am not as much of a fanboy for some of the '90s stuff as as other people's are people are. So I'm not as well versed in it. What I personally would include, but it would not make it an ultimate '90s binder. But for my style of collecting, I would have three or four of the early '90s inserts, Scoring Kings. Um, type cards mostly flare ultra because that's what i was collecting i would have every refractor set that i could come across and then i would finish the binder with every year of autographics because i think those are very important and nice looking cards despite the checklist being too big so starting with some of the iconic early 90s inserts middle would be finest refractors end would be each year of autographics and that would be my personal 
grail of 90s binders. Yeah, Steve, I think we're spending too much time together. Uh, my notes here <laughs> said, even though I started collecting in 90s, not a huge 90s guy. Um, and then I said, Flair, Flair Showcase Base, Flair Ultra Gold Medallions, and then some variation of the refractor binder I'm already working on. Um, so kind of uh, several of the same things you mentioned there and probably not as exciting. I know people want to hear PMGs and, and all that other stuff. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of be a variation of what I've got going on right now. And it is the slowest binder build and I am enjoying it, um, because it gives me something to chase. It's a project that I'm not going to finish next week. So although you finished it, I think, right. Have you done it for the entire Celtics run? No, I haven't gone. I haven't gone team by team. I've gone the all I've done. I mean, I have. If I went through my, I have these huge D ring binders of Celtics cards that are sorted by year. I have a lot of refractors in there. What I've completed is like a Pierce player run. So I have every Pierce, silver refractor and gold refractor, and I'm working on the black refractors that he had. And then I have the entire. I have every refractor of D Brown. You know, talk about nineties. Not not sexy, but for, that was a fun one. Um, and then I have, I've thought about doing team by team, um, or year by year for the team. I, I haven't gone there yet and I don't know why I would probably have to scale back my big D ring binders and make it just more refractor stuff. I would have too many cards if I went, if I did with like what you and Ryan and some of my other friends are, are working on with the going year by year with the team. And Caleb, shout out Caleb. Um, so oh, if you, awesome. if you did that. Uh, and I, not that this matters, but I've always been curious because I've thought about doing something like that myself. Um, do you get a duplicate of the Pierce so you can have one in each binder, or do you just count it for both binders and then have gaps in one of them? Yeah, no, it, it would it would bug me, so I'd get duplicates. Yeah, like I, I do I, that if I if I have a, if I have a set, you know, I'll like some of my status stuff if I'm doing like a player run and a, a base set or something i'll get the duplicates i mean you can't do that with gold refractors and stuff but if i was doing silvers i would definitely get duplicates yeah i i'm the same way i've thought about doing the whole take a picture and put it in the binder thing um yeah i don't know if i can do that but i i think i'm gonna have to at some point because i do have like i just got a slabbed 2012 prism gold of orlando johnson and as much as i celebrate slab cracking on this show i can't do it it, yeah. it's and it's not even a 10 but i just can't do it because it's like all right I, something's gonna go wrong with this i can't bring myself to do it so <laughs> that one i might have to take a picture of okay um seeing as we are celebrating thanksgiving this week it's only fitting that we talk about things that we're thankful for so carter aka mc basketball pc ask us to discuss some things in the hobby this year we're thankful for and some things that we're not thankful for uh, which he clarified that that last part depends on how ranty we're feeling. Uh, now, I will say I've already griped enough about eBay sellers today, so I'm probably going to forego the uh, negative part there unless you have something you absolutely have to get off your chest, which I do want to give you that option right now. All right, well, so I'll start with, and they're kind of related. What I'm really thankful for is, and this isn't, this is meant as a positive, not a negative, is that the hobby has has slowed down, and I'm not even you know we can make fun of the I won't say their names the the hobby is alive ranters with their shirts off and everything that, that that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about we've gotten back to a point where you can log on to eBay and bid five dollars for a cool little card that you want for your binder, and it's not going to get bid up because somebody wants to slab it or it's an investment piece there's more cards to be had that are just available at a price that a collector could collect and do whatever they want to with a set chase. And for a while I felt like that was really challenging where even base rookie cards, even though there were 50,000 of them from Prism, they were all getting hyped and enjoyed and overspent on. Um, so I'm really glad that in, in the type of collecting that I do, that there's, it, there's a a return to a normal and it's it's a little more predictable and prices are still higher than they were and that's fine but it's a little more predictable and easier to navigate so i'm, I'm thankful that we've kind of come back down to to that point well and it's a little more healthy too for the long term of yeah. the hobby what what we were going yes. through as fun as it could be at times and i'll admit it was there were some really fun times that was not sustainable and now we're seeing the backlash of that to where people are getting burnt and they're leaving 
Um, so yeah. I, I know you're not saying that's the good part, but we are getting back to the point where, you know, we probably had to purge some people from the hobby. I hate to say that, but for the long-term growth, we had to get back to kind of where we were at one point. And, and hopefully there's more people now than there were and, and there's growth to be happening and we're about to see a lot of a lot of change with Panini and Fanatics and Tops and everything. And I think that's all, you know, change is good. And so I think, you know, as long if and if the hobby's healthy and stable, even if it's not printing money, then that's I think a better spot for change to happen than if there's this rush for stuff to happen. Um so so I'm really grateful for that. Um you know, it could be cheesy, but I mean it. I'm grateful for all the connections. I'm grateful that I got to go to the National this year um, with young kids. I got to go stay with my friends. I talked about it in your show, but to be able to have that experience was awesome. Um, what I'm not grateful for, and then I'll let you go so that you can be positive. I'm just, I'm, I don't even know how to say it. I'm not grateful for how widespread the hobby is from a buying perspective. Like, there's just there's too many platforms. There's too many non trackable ways to go there's websites there's apps there's and i know i'm sounding like an old and i am but all the auction houses it's just there's too much and some of these places are going to go out of business i realize that that's going to be the next part of like there's going to be a natural consolidation of the market but i'm just i'm it's really frustrating how widespread the market is um and that it's 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 tough to navigate if you want to you know be looking for things on a regular basis and try and the hunt is fun, but not when it's like you're kind of just randomly throwing stuff at a website and, and hoping stuff's there. Um, too much unknown. The, so that's, the, that's my yeah. rant. Yeah, the hunt is difficult, but I will say, um, it, well, if you're a seller right now, it seems like it's kind of bad, especially with everything so distributed on, on all these different platforms. But you can go like on PWCC right now, and their weekly auction has like 2,000 items and stuff just gets lost. And yeah. I feel like there's some deals to be had. And although last night, um, every the server crashed. So now they're going to put that auction with one of the other auctions in a week or two. And that's going to be a giant auction. And a lot of things are going to slip through the cracks there. And I'm not even here to promote PWCC. But I, that just goes to show, though, like even that negative, we can probably, um, if you're on the buying side, you can probably find some benefit to that. Um, as far as what I am thankful for, um, kind of same thing. I don't, you know, I know it's going to sound cheesy and cliche or whatever, but, um, I have had so many people help me in the hobby this year, be it, you know, looking for cards or sharing content, uh, people like yourself that are willing to come on the show, people that bid on foreign auctions for me and so on and so on. Um, you know, more than ever, I think this past year solidified for me the fact that it's really hard to navigate this hobby in a vacuum and if you really want to maximize your hobby experience, you have to be ready and willing to bring other people along for the ride. And, and I guess that goes for what you said too, you know, trying to, to find all of this stuff on the different platforms is impossible, but um, I have people reaching out to me every day with stuff on Mercari and Facebook and eBay and PWCC and Golden, um, and I can't check all those places. So um, kudos to all of you that are looking out for me and, and, you know, likewise people that are looking out for everyone else in the hobby. So thank you. Okay. We've got one more activity that I want to run through today, but first I want to remind everyone that this show is brought to you in part by Checkout My Cards, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. They're running some pretty nice promos at the end of this week that coincide with Black Friday and Cyber Monday, including 5% back and free shipping. So I won't go over all the details here. I want you to read through those on your own. You can find that on the ComC blog. Additionally, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckoutMyCards. Uh, and Steve, I don't know if you saw that or not. If you get 20 items, I think it's between the 24th and maybe the 28th. So make sure you look at the blog to get the dates right. Just full disclaimer here. But if you get 20 items uh, within that time frame, you can ship for free. So I think um, I've got like six things ready to ship right now. So I, I need to be looking at my watch list and getting all that squared away because free is nice. I like free. Free is great. All right. I figure we close today with one of the more popular pieces of my collector conversations as of late, 
And and to be honest, it's something I thought that we had done before, but you confirmed with me that we have not. And um, I've been asking people to share their top three cards, counting backwards from three to one. Um, And I, you know what, I have no clue what to expect here. I mean, I'd like to think there's a Crowder in there. I'd like to think there's some green cards coming our way, but um, I have no clue. So this should be good. So why don't we go ahead and jump in and tell us a little bit about number three. So I'm going to give a little disclaimer here, and I'm, I'm looking at my timer. I'm going to try and be quick. We're at 45 minutes. But um, I, w- every time I hear this, I love listening to the other collectors describe their cards. And at the same time, I think he's – I don't want him to ever ask me because I don't have an answer. Um, and the reason is, like you said, is there a Crowder in here? No. So in my mind, when I organize my collection of what I value, I collection I, I value the sub-collections within the collection. So like my Crowder collection is one entity in my mind. My Celtics rookies are one entity in my mind. My Pierce binder, there's not there's not one refractor that I would pull out of there and say, this is my favorite Pierce refractor. It's the fact that I have the player, like the gold run, right? So I, I had to find cards that, that weren't part of a, a, a core part of a collection. Um, so number three, and, and they really all tie to experiences I've had in the hobby, not to, ironically, I, you, I didn't know the questions that were coming my way, but that question from Carter kind of ties in. So card number three um, is a card that I, I picked up from a very good friend of mine. He was the first connection I ever made in the hobby in 2012 when I came back as an adult. He was someone that really helped me understand the market. And uh, those of you that were on Beckett back in the day know Jay Marchand. Um, so I picked up from him when he was starting to consolidate and kind of get out of the hobby, a Paul Pierce 2012-13 absolute every player, every game, one-on-one tag that I know your listeners should be familiar with because you've had a few and kind of successfully busted some out of slabs and stuff. But it's a one-on-one. It's got right. that tag that Kyle's it's, talked it's a bunch about. It's about the in process, not, not what <laughs> happened on the way, right? Just like the feedback. Yeah, it, it, got, it got there safely. So... Um, you know, being able to, this is a card that I talked with Jason knew I was collecting pairs. He was going after absolute almost like if it was up to him, he would have had the, you know, a master set of apps 2012, 13 absolute. I remember when it was a week, you know, the first time that I ever like game planned with another bot collector about who's going to pick it up. Let's not bid each other up. Um, and then when he was ready to move it, he gave me a very, very fair deal. It's just, you know, reminiscent of getting into the hobby and that friendship. So that that Pierce 101 is number three for me. Number two is um, a card that I picked up at the National. And like I said, had a great time. Memories that I'll have for the rest of my life of going down there with the guys and hanging out. Um, I've talked about this card in your show before. It is a 2012-13 Larry Bird Flawless uh, Patch Auto, the gold parallel out of 10. Um, I love like encased, you know, quote-unquote uncirculated cards. This was one of the case hits that Flaws had that year, so it is encased. Um, it's a nice, large, dirty patch window. It's a picture of him in a green jersey, green patch, great blue auto. Uh, but again, connects right back to that. And it took a lot for me to get this. This was a deal that, you know, spent almost an hour to complete and was a trade. So uh, just great memories tied to that card. Um, I can't quite picture that one. So we're going to have to make sure these get back on social media. Yep. I'm, I know I've seen it, but that one's not coming to my mind right now. So I can't wait to yep. look for that one. Nice, nice vertical, vertical card. Um, so you might have been able to guess like those type of cards would be in here. I don't think I know you know I have this card. I don't think you would have thought that would be my number one. But about a year ago, no, not even six months ago, I was at one of the regional, large regional shows. We call them the Shriner shows here in the Boston area. And at the back of the hall was this crusty old table with a, a grapher was there, and he had he had records signed, he had cards signed, he had tickets signed. And digging through his stuff, and I mean digging through his stuff, I came across two in-person signed Tommy Heinsohn cards. And the one that I picked up is a 2009 Timeless Treasures Prime Patch. Um, it's at the top of an eye from a white Celtics jersey. You talked about that cheesecloth. You can see the cheesecloth style. Um, with an in-person autograph of Heinsohn in a, a thin green marker. And I'm not a huge in-person fan, but this thing works perfectly. But... What I really like about it is that Tommy was Mr. Celtic. I won't get into it, but multiple two-time Hall of Famer, color commentator for the team for 35 years. Um, his He does not have prime relics out there at all. And when I was talking with the guy, I picked up both of these, and I asked him the price, and he said a price that was very, very fair for a Tommy piece. And he's and he didn't real he didn't know anything about the cards. 
So you had the, the base one out of, I think it was 49, which had just a white relic in it. And then this one out of five with the chunky pad. And I'm showing it to the computer, so if you guys can see it, you can't. Um, and he, he's like, which one do you want? Do you want the one with the green or do you want the one with the white? I was like, sir, I'll, I'll take the one with the green in it, please. Um, so just picking it up, how rare it is, how nice it looks for an in-person. Uh, picked it up you know, shortly after Tommy passed away. Um, that's that's my number one card that that I pulled out as my, my top favorite these days. And in, in a week or two from now, that could probably change. Um, you're not kidding. I I have tried to find um, a prime patch of his, and even one showed up, I think, in the last year, and and I didn't get it, but uh, I was bidding on it. Those things are hard to track down. Now you could have given me 25 guesses, and I would not have even come close to that card. So that's why I love this activity. It's always something new, always something different. Um, like I said earlier, we're going to make sure and get those back on your social media or bump those up or pin them or something, but I want to make sure that people get a chance to see these again. Steve, as always, I enjoyed chatting all things hobby with you. We've done this many times before, so you know the drill. Before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to offer any final thoughts or promote anything you're looking for or anything you're working on right now. Yeah, same old stuff, but I'll say for the, the newer listeners, I'm on Instagram, S Howley, S H O W L E Y, 2003. Um, feel free to reach out anytime. Love talking the hobby. Always looking for rear Jay Crowder cards, even if he's not currently playing. And uh, I am down, I don't know where you're at, Kyle, but I'm down to my final seven cards that I need for the 57 58 Tops basketball set. So I'm looking for a grade of PSA 5 or higher. Uh, so. It's a very short checklist. I, I have it organized, but if anybody out there has any of that set available, feel free to reach out, and if it's one I need, hopefully we can come to a deal. Yes, and I am looking for an SGC5 and lower, um, although I, I did pick up two last night in the whole PWCC fiasco. I didn't think I won them, but I ended up winning them, so we'll be on the lookout for those for you. Uh, once again, thanks, Steve. I appreciate you coming on. And hopefully you guys enjoyed today's conversation as well. Maybe there was something that either one of us said that resonated with you. You can find Steve's handle in the title. Feel free to reach out to me on social media as well. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.